Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbard. And I'm Devin Voda. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. Well, it's hard to believe that Memorial Day is almost here. I know. It kind of snuck up on me. I don't Mm -hmm. know about you. Yeah, me too. um, So, month's winding down and uh, we got to cover eco news before the month is... Mm-hmm. you know out of here and june's here so uh why don't we do that this week sounds um, good all right mm-hmm. so that means that you'll get started and i don't know kind of curious as to what news you found this yeah. time around yeah so my first article i found is on a rare fish in the upper james river which is down like virginia ish way um it's they're trying to get federal protection for it so this fish is the rough head shiner it's a shiny three inch olive minnow that lives in the cow pasture river and its tributaries in the western virginia allegheny like those kind of counties down that way okay so that's that's the extent of its range yeah it's very localized to that specific area So in late March, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has announced that the fish was among four species that are being considered for the federal protection this go-around. If you're curious, other ones were the common hippopotamus, the scarab beetle, and the inyo rock daisy. So only fish on that list. Okay. The scarab beetle? Is that what you said? Yep. This is one of them? Okay. That's the only one I think I'm familiar with. Yeah, it was the only one I'd really... So... To be put on this list, they are going undergoing a year-long status review to determine whether it will receive the protection and unlock additional funds for helping protect this fish. So why they're looking at it, it's one of the main threats is an intruder called the telescope shiner. So it's native to the south region of the rivers in the U.S., but starting to kind of come up the rivers a little bit and kind of pushing the rough head shiner out hmm. as invasives tend to do unfortunately um did it say particularly why was um it like a temperature change or was it uh, so they didn't really say why it's like coming into the area i'm sure it's probably being introduced fishing wise and all that stuff mm-hmm. um but they are they look very similar to the rough head too which so maybe there might be some confusion in there a little bit but unfortunately it is getting pushed out of its own habitat and like we talked it's very localized to that one spot so yeah once it gets pushed out it's kind of hard to rejuvenate the population there mm-hmm. like most minnows it does thrive in the rocky creek bottoms filled with the insects uh, but they were cut off from their historic habitat by a dam so that's part of the problem too why it's really not spreading any farther than where it is and um as a lot of rivers they do have some excess sediment that flows through that's kind of burying that habitat that they like so the rough head shiner is kind of getting curveballs thrown from every which direction a lot of species unfortunately that are going without being really much attention being paid to them even though they are kind of on that verge of extinction endangerment they do note that the maryland darter for example uh, an animal that was only known to be found in maryland uh, was recently declared extinct after scientists tried to find them a river that they once inhabited but they failed they couldn't find any of them Hmm. Uh, the last sighting was actually 1988 for this fish so if we don't act on this with the rough head shiner we might be a similar story unfortunately yeah 
So what, I guess, what type of protections are they proposing? Uh, yep, hoping to get some funding to try and rehab the habitat that they're in. Uh, they're also looking to put some in captivity to try and like preserve the gene, like the genes of them and hopefully be able to eventually reintroduce them if they do end up kind of becoming extinct in the actual river itself. So we're fingers crossed, hoping that the study shows good, not necessarily good results, but helps get them on the endangered species list and helps them get some funding to help protect them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, speaking of extinction, mm-hmm. um, I think we covered this topic before, but uh, do you remember talking about the ivory bill woodpecker here on the show? Seems like we did. Maybe. Um, but I got an update. So um, just to recap, so the ivory of billed woodpecker it used to live or maybe it still does down in the backwoods of louisiana okay it's potentially gonna be considered extinct the u.s fish and wildlife has had some discussion on it Um, they've extended a couple of periods of public comment just because there's still a feeling by uh, a bunch of different colleges have done studies Mm -hmm. that the population is still there that'd be Um, good it's hard because uh, this population of ivory-billed woodpeckers live deep in the woods. Um, okay. So we're talking about barely logged or even virgin forest, okay. uh, which is scarce amounts down there. Mm-hmm. And because it lives so deep in the forest, you know, as you can imagine, birds who travel up in the, the high-end treetops mm-hmm. are really hard to get pictures of. Yeah. Um, so... That brings us to today's topic. So footage that is claimed to show that the ivory bill woodpecker does live in Louisiana has been released. Okay. Um, so I think that's what we talked about before. They thought that they got some footage, maybe some, you know, either put out trail cameras, but mm-hmm. do it high up in the canopy. So they did that. And I, I think they have like 70,000 hours of recordings by units. Okay. Which I, I can't imagine That's going a lot. <laughs> through all that footage. But uh, yeah, so they think they have some examples of the ivory-billed woodpeckers still living out there in the forest of Louisiana. So you can imagine if they did find the ivory-billed woodpecker, mm-hmm. there'd be so much more protection in place. Mm-hmm. And then habitat restoration, kind of like the fish and protections on the habitat that's what it'll mean i don't know if they have the support that they they need okay you know because you have to think like you've here's this deep wood habitat that nobody goes in nobody cares about yeah nobody cares about you know maybe Mm -hmm. people want to develop yeah you know cut down those trees and put in houses or who knows so that's one of the things they're up against but as i said one college i believe is um college out of Pittsburgh. So they did an actual study. They have 70,000 hours of recordings, almost a half a million camera hours of similar locations and video. They even used drones. Oh. So 3,265 drone flights. Wow. And um, I did check out some of the video that they had, mm-hmm. uh, at least available to the public. I'm not going to tell you what I saw. <laughs> um, if you're really interested in this topic, Go check it out for yourself. I'll put it up on our website so you can follow Easy Link and you can make your own determinations about whether it was indeed the ivory-billed woodpecker or not. 
so the the comment period for public comment is over this footage has just been released to hopefully uh, allow the u.s fish and wildlife to make that determination or a better determination because mm -hmm. previous to that there really wasn't any clear evidence i guess back in the 1960s there were some feathers found okay um but and people have said that they've heard this particular call it's a kent call i'm not sure whether that's the actual noise that they make kent or whether they, you know they just mm -hmm. named it that but um people said that they've heard that call persistent to the 90s and even into the 2000s but there's really no clear evidence okay. um, other than this newly released footage mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see what the u.s fish and wildlife yep. agency does say and um I'm hoping that they at least extend it some more. Yeah. You know, maybe give it a couple more years. So I think, well, all I'm going to say is you, you make that call. Mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in birds, it's definitely an interesting topic to follow up on um, and check out that footage. So. Yeah. All right. So my second article here has to do with another flying animal here. My study is on... What's the, the title's kind of funny. It's what's the bee's knees in bumblebee dietary options. So there was a study viewing 23,000 bumblebee to flower interactions over two years. So imagine sitting there like watching a bumblebee come up to a flower 23,000 times. That's a lot of times mm -hmm. to watch. Um, and they kind of noticed that they are not necessarily just settling for whatever flower they come across. So they might be a little pickier than we thought they were. So they did determine kind of what they think the bumblebee's favorite flowers are, the, of the wild flowers that are around. Um, no particular order on these, but the top flower species preferred. Ooh, can I guess? Sure. Um, this is in Ohio to know. Ohio, okay. Um, well, I don't know. I'm just going to throw out a wild guess. Is mm -hmm. it clover? There is a clover in there, okay. yep. Um, that's all I got. Okay, so they are milkweed, native thistles, morning glories, uh, purple coneflower, bee balm, which I've never heard of before, uh, beard tongue, red clover, vetch, and rosinwood or cup plant. That's what they call it. So a good mix in there. Probably not exactly what you would have expected necessarily. No, the the vetch I'm surprised about. Mm -hmm. um, Think morning glories, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't guess that one either. Mm -mm. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So, and then they also did mention two other like bee magnet plants that were in a lower abundance in the areas that they were noticing that they also liked were Culver's root and wild indigo. So those, I kind of would expect maybe the wild indigo. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty flower; they might be attracted to it. But they did note that there was. There are 16 species historically found of bumblebees in Ohio. They were only able to observe 10 of those species. So two of them that they did observe like quite abundantly were the American bumblebee and the common eastern bumblebee. But even of those two, the common eastern bumblebee, they recorded um, over 11,000 visits. And like the next highest was the American bumblebee with only... 31 visits so like there's quite a wide range of how many visits from each but they did get a good amount of research on those um, 
and they didn't know that this study was important because it might show us maybe what to help plant in our yards and everything to help the pollinators because fortunately with habitat loss they're losing a lot of these native flowers that they might be enjoying. Um, they did note that there was some non-native species that they liked as well which might be problematic. I don't think they really noted what those were but they it does show that bees do have preference on what they go to because there were a few species in this mix that they completely avoided altogether. Like they wouldn't even go near these flowers. So these might kind of surprise you which ones they didn't like. One definitely surprised me. Uh, one was Alcite Clover, uh, the Black-Eyed Susan, and the Prairie Coneflower. They wanted nothing to do with those. The Black-Eyed Susan kind of surprised me. That one, I don't know if that surprises me too much. When I see, I don't see much activity. You see like smaller sweat bee type okay. bees on those. But they, it, I thought it was quite interesting to see this study done to see that they do kind of have pickier diets. They're not just going to go for what necessarily is most abundant. They will kind of search around for the specific flowers that they do like. Mm-hmm. Them. Yeah, it's interesting. Cool. Yeah, so make sure, maybe try and incorporate some of these flowers into your garden at home. Yeah, sounds like a good idea. Well, real quick, I wanted to cover another fish. You had mentioned mm-hmm. one from yep. um, Maryland area, mm-hmm. Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one we're talking about is now in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, it's the giant flathead catfish. Yes. Um, some people have heard of it, some people have not. So i just give you a little bit of rundown on what it is. It's also known as the yellow or mud catfish. Okay. Super large. It's a smooth skinned fish with a yellow to purple brown body. And it has the typical whisker like mm-hmm. barbells around mm-hmm. his mouth. Um, so it was introduced into this region in, the, in Pennsylvania in 1960s. And uh, it's definitely considered invasive. Um, it's actually native just you know, like over, the next watershed over, Mississippi watershed. Okay. So it grows up to the length of 61 inches. Wow. Pretty long. And uh, it uh, usually weighs somewhere or it can get up to 120 pounds. Wow. So that's, that's a huge fish. That is a big fish. Um, that's the biggest that you'll find, by the way. Uh, it's the second largest catfish in North America only behind the blue catfish okay so i'm not familiar with that species but certainly a big fish mm-hmm. and uh you a pretty good rod setup yeah <laughs> wouldn't want to come across that swimming <laughs> yeah right mike Worley actually produced a giant flat catfish last sunday okay um it was caught from the susquehanna river okay. and uh, the catfish weighed 66 pounds and six ounces wow so I guess they're considering it probably the new record. Um, he caught the big fish using 12-inch trout as bait. <laughs> Some people, you know, think that's a prize fish in itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where was it caught? It was caught in Safe Harbor Dam in Lancaster County. So, okay. And there was a wildlife officer um, which was on duty there to verify it. So... Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission has verified it. Mike Worley has to send in the actual documentation to get it official, but yeah, they're definitely gonna mark that one as the biggest flathead catfish 
found in the state so far. I couldn't imagine trying to reel that in. Um, so maybe you're wondering what the last state record is, and that was caught in 2020 by Jonathan Pierce. He caught a 56-pound, 3-ounce fish. So this is 10 pounds bigger yet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that was caught in the Schuylkill River, okay. uh, which is down near Philly. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, flatheads are relatively new to the Susquehanna River. Uh, the first one was documented back in 2002 in the Safe Harbor Dam. So, okay. same place where he caught this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're definitely up here. I did talk to Fish and Boat, or we did a mm-hmm. while back, yep. to Ty, and uh, said that they definitely found them up here. So, you know, with each flooding event, the river goes up and they're able to migrate further and further north. So, mm-hmm. um, who knows where they'll be spotted next. But yeah. Probably in New York. So Maybe you can not. catch a prize catfish. <laughs> yeah, if I fish. <laughs> barely get out anymore. So um, You've gotten out quite a few times already, right? Just our pond there at the yeah. house, but yeah. Yep. There you go. Well, hopefully you learned a couple of things um, that, that are happening in the news. Yeah. And uh, we do have a couple of events to mention. So just want to give you a short rundown of the events that are happening at Salt Springs. So we have the Discovery Walk, and that's on May 31st. They have a discussion series, which um, they've already started, but this next topic will be Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle, and that's okay. on June 2nd. So it's kind of a forum session where you can sit there and talk. A knowledgeable figure um, in the county will be talking about the topic, ask questions, discuss. But again, that's Reuse, Reduce, and Recycle. That'll be the topic. They're going to have a bat count on June 3rd, so there's a good population of uh, little brown bats there okay. right around the park, so they're going to do that. And then uh, if you're interested in learning archery, if you've never done archery before and like to get started, they have archery for beginners, and that's on June 10th. Yeah, sounds like a couple of good events to yeah, lots head of fun. up to Salt Springs and enjoy. All right, I guess that does it for today's show then. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes, links to information about past episodes, and a contact form where you can reach out, ask questions, or make comments about the show. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Voda. And I'm Don Hibbert saying enjoy the outdoors.